Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 tonight. I do appreciate you making the effort and coming out. And uh, I'm glad it didn't snow us out or snow us in. Amen. We may get it tonight. (laughs) We'll have to wait and see. Is everybody all right? Everybody seems asleep. Is everybody okay tonight? Everybody seems, is there something on fire that I don't know about or something? Everybody all right? Let's do an exercise. If you're okay, say amen. amen. All right. If you've got a problem with the person sitting next to you, say amen. amen. All the wives, you notice. All the wives, except mine. But if I was sitting with her, it probably would have been different. All right. I want to read the entire chapter tonight. It's not very long, 18 verses. But I believe it gives us some context to our thought this evening. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing his second epistle to the church at Corinth. And he's recounting some of his own personal history, what God's done in his life. And I tell you, that, that'll go a long ways with a lost sinner, just talking about what God's done in your life. And I believe we forfeit a lot of our uh, witnessing tools by not talking about what God's done in our life. They can argue with your theology. But they can't argue with your history. Amen? They can call you a liar, but they'll have to do just that if you talk about what God's done in your life. And we find that to be an example in the Word of God. And Paul is talking about this. He says in verse number 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, this is powerful. I want you to notice this verse. It's not our text, but it's worth noticing. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You notice Paul switches gears. He's been talking about how excellent God is, and now he's talking about how earthen He is. He's been speaking of the gospel and the great blessed truth of Christ on Calvary. But he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that God uses human instrumentality. God has chosen to use feeble and frail man to carry His gospel to a lost and dying world. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. I want to say this because I don't know if I'll get to say it again. You're not going to have the life of Christ manifest unless you have the death of Christ manifest. You see, part of the problem with Christianity today is we want the life of Christ manifest through us, but we don't want the death of Christ manifest through us. 
We've got to learn to bear the reproach of the cross of Calvary if we're ever going to have the, the power of God upon us. We've got to be willing to bear persecution for Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing to mortify our flesh and submit ourselves to the Spirit of God if we're ever going to have the power of the risen Savior manifest through our lives. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Notice verse 17 and 18. Our text is found in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's read verse 17 once again. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time that You've given us. Thank You for each and every person that's here tonight. Lord, I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. God, do in us what only You can accomplish through the work of the Holy Ghost. Give me unction and power as I preach, Lord, not that the glory would be mine, but that I may give it unto You. And Father, we'll be sure to thank You for it. We love You tonight, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in verse number 17, we have what's probably one of the most astounding verses in all of the Word of God. And let me tell you why. Because it is an eternal verse. Now, you might say, wait a minute, preacher, all of the Word of God is eternal. And I'd agree with you, it's forever settled in heaven. I'm thankful that uh, uh, though this world would pass away, that not one jot or tittle of the Word of God will pass away. And I'm, I'm thankful that no man is ever going to be able to abolish or destroy the Word of God. But what I mean when I say that is it gives us a particularly eternal perspective. It deals with something in the present that affects eternity. Understand that everything in the present affects eternity, one way or the other. And so we see that this is an eternal verse. But I would say it's not only an eternal verse, but I would say that it is a, a verse of experience. Paul is writing this, and he does not say for your light affliction. That interests me. He says for our light affliction. Paul does not exclude you, he just includes himself. And he says that our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, let me pause and say, you know, our flesh kind of rears up and the hair on our necks kind of flies up when someone would say your light affliction. We don't like to hear someone refer to our affliction as light affliction. They say your light affliction. You might say, well, now, preacher, it's easy for you to say your light affliction because it's not your light affliction. It's my light affliction. But Paul does not say your light affliction. He says our light affliction. This is a verse of experience. But this is a verse of expression 
concerning the attitude of God and the attitude of believer concerning suffering. I want to give you four thoughts tonight, but I felt it important that we read the entire text so that we understand where Paul is coming from. Paul is writing about his own difficulties, his own distresses in life. And I want you to notice again with me in verse number 8 what he says. He says, we are troubled on every side yet not distressed. Now, I don't know about you, friend, but as a, you know, as a pastor, I watch people's lives. You know that? And, and you do too. We all do. But as a pastor, I suppose I watch a lot more of them. And as a pastor, I probably pay more attention to people's lives. And can I say that for most of us, we get troubled on one side and we get distressed. We get troubled on two sides and we're ready to plumb give up. But Paul says concerning his experience that he was troubled on every side, yet not distressed. How did he reach this place? Notice what he says. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You say, what is perplexion? Well, it's not the tone of your skin. Amen. Perplexion means to be confounded and to be confused, to be perplexed over a matter. If you've ever sat in an algebra class, you know what perplexion is. Amen? Uh, everybody, I don't know what, I'm going to set something on fire. Everybody's half asleep tonight. Is everybody okay? I mean, it, it's, did I, it, is there something drawn on my face that I'm not aware of? Don't say it's the beard. It's always been there and you know that. Paul says we were in a place of darkness, but we were not despaired. Persecuted, Now I like this but not forsaken. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Persecuted, but not forsaken. And he says, cast down, but not destroyed. This is Paul's reflective attitude concerning the experiences he went through. But I would say that it's not just his reflective attitude. I would say that it is his, his, if I can get it out, prospective attitude concerning these things. Paul has not come to have this attitude. Paul has always had this attitude. How did he get that attitude? As we read verse number 17, I want to say that we see four thoughts here, and I'm just going to give them to you quick because you don't seem very happy with me tonight. I want you to notice first off that we see a word of problems. What does he say? He says, for our light affliction. This is a comprehensive phrase because he says ours. He's including you and me. He's not speaking just of himself. And can I say to you that problems are a universal problem? You live in this world, you're going to face difficulty. I don't care who you are, I don't care how well that your life may seem to be going now. I can promise you that with one phone call, with one slip of the steering wheel, your life could come unraveled. And we all know that to be true. You live long enough, you're going to have people forsake you. You live long enough, you're going to have people frustrate you. You live long enough, you're going to have people fail you. And I'm telling you tonight that when Paul speaks of problems, he's speaking of something we can identify with. He speaks of light affliction. You might say, preacher, my affliction is not a light affliction. Well, you have to tell me what it is compared to what Paul went through. Paul went through more affliction than we could ever imagine. Uh, Paul was left uh, for dead outside the walls of Lystra. Paul was uh, cast about in a shipwreck. Paul was persecuted time and time again. I mean, friend, Paul went through more in two weeks than the average Christian will go through in their entire lives. 
But when Paul describes it, he says our light affliction. He says, I go through problems, you go through problems, and if you live long enough, we're all going to go through problems. My question tonight, what problem are you going through? And would you call it a light affliction? we got people with some big problems in this room. We got people facing uh, sickness, facing uh, depression and discouragement. We've got people facing financial issues that are insurmountable. And I'm here to tell you tonight that it's easy to sit upon an ivory throne and a crystal pedestal and cast judgmental looks, but you wait long enough, you're going to be downtrodden. It's only a matter of time, and I don't care who you are, man that is born of woman is full of sorrow. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life, you're going to have times of trouble. Are you prepared for them? You know, it's about preparation. There's people at the grocery store right now buying 36 gallons of milk, right? I don't think I've ever seen it snow more than three inches in this entire, like the blizzard of 93, and I was, what, six, Amen. The chances of us getting a blizzard blizzard are pretty like could happen. Uh, wouldn't bother me if it did, amen. But there's people, uh, I mean, my goodness, how long would you have to be snowed in to drink 36 gallons of milk? I don't know how many sandwiches you plan on making, but you go to the grocery store, you'll find the bread is gone. We are creatures of preparation concerning things that are urgent and things that alarm us. And the reason we don't prepare is because we don't see it coming until it's too late. But the Bible gives us this warning that we are going to face problems. Some of you have buried loved ones, and I thought about you, Miss Ina, as you were giving that testimony. Some of you have buried loved ones in the past year or so. Some of you will bury loved ones in the next year. Some of you have lost people in the past year. You're going to lose more. What will you do in that day? What will I do in that day? How will we respond? How will we react? I say we see a word of problems. But as if to make things more difficult, Paul gives another word that really only someone who has been through it could give. We see a word of problems, but we see a word of perception. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, I was talking to some, uh, I guess, uh, some people we had here today, and we were talking about raising children. I've never raised any. I mean, I've got one. He's only six weeks old. He don't do nothing yet. Um, I mean, I, there's been a few times I've wanted to whip him just because. I ain't got to yet, amen, but ain't done nothing yet for me to whip him. Um, but I heard someone make this statement not too long ago, and as a father, it stuck with me. This person said that the days are long. But the years are short. And as we live our life, I think that it is easy on the backside of a problem to look backwards and say that was but for a moment. But we need to understand that when we have a God that is outside of time and eternity, He's always on the backside of every problem. Just as He's in the midst of every storm, just as He's at the beginning of every valley. God's perception is that these things are but for a moment. And you might say, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. And you'd be very right when you would say that. I don't know what you're going through. And I don't have to know what you're going through for the Word of God to be true, by the way. Do you know I don't have to have any experience concerning something you're going through for the Word of God to be true? I mean, the Word of God is true. 
Uh, there's nothing we can do, the Bible says, against the truth. It's true whether we accept it, whether we like it. It's true whether the voice that is sounding it has all the experience in the world or whether it has not. I don't have to know what you're going through. I've got a Savior that does. Regardless of whether I do or whether anyone else does, and you may be surrounded, listen, I'm thankful that we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and I'm thankful that he's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities, because the fact is you're going to go through things in your life that you won't know a soul that knows what you're going through. But God's perception concerning these things is they're about for a moment. Not because your trial is so small in relation to life, but because life is so small in relation to eternity. This is a verse of eternity. It's been said before that uh, life is eternity's waiting room. I reject that because I don't know who their doctor is, but I probably spend more time in the waiting room than I do seeing the doctor. Amen? No, no. Life is just a blip. Life is minuscule. Life could never even be reckoned how small that it is in relation to God's eternity because we cannot wrap our finite minds around an eternal God. And so no matter how big our problem is, we can never reckon how small it could be in light of eternity. What I'm saying is this. I don't know what you're going through, but I know it is temporary. Whatever it is you're dealing with. And I'm trying to encourage you tonight because when you're in the valley, listen, friend, the mountaintops uh, that seem to crowd in around you seem inestimably tall. And when you're in the darkness of the storm, the waves are daunting. And I'm trying to get you to understand that no matter how big the waves seem to be, God has measured out the sea in the palm and in the lines of His hand. I'm trying to get you to understand how big your God is tonight. I'm trying to get you to understand how big eternity is tonight. Because no matter what you're struggling with, it's but for a moment. We are eternal creatures. Everyone, not just the saved, the lost are eternal creatures as well. I don't believe in annihilation. I believe that we will be eternally conscious somewhere, every single one of us. And so life must be reckoned within that framework if we are to get an accurate understanding of it. And so for the lost sinner, he may live in sin's pleasure for just a few moments in the scope of eternity and die without Christ and go to a devil's hell. And he'll see the vastness of eternity when he's there. But you and I, friend, as believers, by the same token, we may suffer, but it's just for a moment. And when we step inside of the realm of eternity, we'll see how small that moment was. I like that it says moment. I don't know what the scientific designation of a moment is. Uh, I remember hearing a preacher talking about a twinkling of an eye one time. He said, if you want to know scientifically what a twinkling of an eye is, he said, if you're sitting at a red light and it turns green, the time from when it turns green to when it takes the guy behind you to honk at you, that's a twinkling of an eye. I don't know what the scientific designation of a moment would be, but I know this, it's pretty short. It's a matter of perception. matter of perception. I'm a pastor, and uh, I don't know if you knew that, but I am. And I'll have people say to you, can I have a moment of your time? And I can tell you right now that moment is a relative word. 
Some people say that and they mean a moment. They'll just pull you over to the side and they'll say, hey, I just want to let you know this. And then they'll let you go. Other people will say, I just need a moment of your time. And two and a half hours later, you're still enjoying that moment. Amen? You see, it's about perception. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand tonight. When you're looking at this life, things seem long and, and arduous and difficult. But when you look through the prism of eternity, you realize how little time you really have on this world. You realize, even if it isn't cut short, friend, live a hundred, live two, three, four, five hundred. Friend, live out, outlive Adam and go. Or outlive Methuselah and go to a thousand years. And it'll just be but a moment. You have very little time. Preacher, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Hey, if, you, if you're given a million tomorrows, there'll still be very little time in relation to eternity. We have a word of problems. We have a word of perception. I like this. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, I want you, I don't know if you underscore in your Bible, but if you do, I want you to underscore these three words. Worketh for us. We see a word of purpose you know, that's really what it's all about, suffering. That's really the question, isn't it? In fact, you'll find if you listen to uh, uh, academics falsely so-called and philosophers rightly so-called, you'll hear them debate back and forth. And you know what the chief question is? What is the real thing that the human soul is longing to understand? You'll find it is wrapped up in one little word, three letters, W-H-Y, why? Purpose purpose. Why? Look at the life of Job. You know what Job's chief contention was? Job's chief complaint was not that he lost his cattle. It wasn't that he lost his kids. It wasn't that he lost the confidence of his wife. You know what Job's chief complaint was? Why? Oh, that I might find God. That I might lay my complaint before him. Job's big complaint was that he could not understand his turmoil. And some of you tonight, you're sitting there and you're groping in the darkness saying, Lord, I feel like I could just bear it if I knew why. For some reason it makes it easier. Can I say to you that I don't know what you're going through. I don't have to know what you're going through. I know a few things about it. One thing I know is it's a light affliction. Another thing that I know is that it's but for a moment. But let me give you a third thing. I know it's working for you. There's a lot of things that we think are working for us that ain't. Right? A lot of things we think are working for us that ain't. It's funny, if you ever go into some of these health food places, you can tell I go there a lot, right? But they have all kinds of herbs. All, I mean, they got more herbs and spices than Colonel Sanders. And you go in there and there's all these different remedies, all these different things. You say, uh, preacher, do any of those work? Do I look like I would know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure some of them do. I'm sure some of them don't. But there's such thing as called a placebo. Do you know what a placebo is? Some of you remember the old lady on Andy Griffith that had to get her pills. And Miss Ellie, she wasn't going to give her them pills, you know. She didn't have no prescription. And finally, they talked to Miss Ellie and they made her understand that those were just sugar pills. It was a placebo. You see, there's some things we have in our life because we like to feel they're working for us whether they are or not. 
But there's some other things in our life that we could have never dreamed are working for us, Brother Ralph. But they are working for us. Whatever you're going through, you're probably praying for God to take it away. And yet it's the very thing that's, that's, that's accounting spiritual blessings for eternity for you. Some things that you're going through and you're begging God to take it away like Paul did. Paul begged God three times. You say, preacher, he only asked him three times. If you'd asked like Paul asked, I believe three times would have seemed like a lot. This was a man that had the prayer power to deliver a person over to Satan. That's powerful. Paul said, I went to God three times about this thing. And I asked God to take it away. God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now listen to what Paul said. Paul said, I will therefore rather glory in my infirmity. That... That word's important, Brother Ralph. Every word in your King James Bible's important. That. So this is a cause and effect thing. I'm doing this so that this will happen. I will glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, the very thing that Paul was begging God to take away was the very thing that was working for him. The very trial you're going through that you can't understand, you can't make no sense of, you might find that that stumbling block is really a stepping stone of faith and God's using that to refine and purify you in a way that you'll never understand on this side of eternity. I don't know why we think it is. It's going to take all of eternity to unpack the story of God's grace for us, Brother Ralph, and we'll never get finished with it. I don't see why we would understand that in this little snippet of time we could comprehend all of it. You know, why would we think we could understand all of God's doings in this life when all of eternity it will take to sing his praises? He's doing things for you you can never comprehend. I'm not here tonight to give you some glowing exegetical uh, sermon upon uh, all these different basic uh, doctrines and ideals and to just spread forth before you some kind of table. I'm here tonight to give you the medicine that will keep you going. In the midst of your discouragement, I'm here to try to tell you that there is a purpose, no matter whether you know it, no matter whether I know it, it don't matter. You could ask a thousand people from here across the United States and not one of them might give you an answer, but there is a purpose for it because God said there was. There is. Say, preacher, I don't know what that purpose is. Then you don't need to know what that purpose is. If you did, God would have told you. I mean, isn't that plain enough? If you needed to know, God would tell you. God's not playing hard to get. God, God's in the business of revelation, not concealment. God's not playing hard to get with you. If, if you needed to know, He would let you know. But it doesn't change the fact, whether I understand it, whether you understand it, whether anyone can give you any kind of answer that makes any kind of satisfactory sense to you. It does not change the truth. That these things are working in your life. What are they doing? We find a word of promise. Worketh for us an exceeding, an exceeding. Look what it says. I'm not going to misquote it. I want you to notice it carefully. Verse 17. Worketh for us a far more. Well, more than what? More than your affliction. So in other words, you're going to come out on the right end of this thing. More exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
I'd considered tonight spending a lot of time talking about the different ways in which our problems might glorify God. But let me just back up and let me just read to you what it says in verse number 13 and 14 when it says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. Notice this phrase, and shall present us with you. The Bible says that one day when he comes back, and he is coming back, whether we're conscious of it, whether we accept it, whether every infidel in the world shakes their fist at God and calls it a fairy tale and a fable, Jesus Christ is returning. It could be any moment. It could be any day. I hope it's soon. Amen. He is coming back. And when He does, the Bible teaches that there will be a glory that's revealed in us as we stand at that day with Him. It could be the glory of a healed body, and I believe it will be the glory of a healed body. Healing. We talk about that a lot, don't we? Healing. Not just healing from sickness. Healing from our sin nature. Healing from sorrow. Healing from fatigue. Healing from doubt and from fear. The glory of a healed body. It could be the glory of the crowns that He is bestowing upon us. And I believe that there will be literal crowns. You say, why, preacher? Because the Bible says so, friend. It's that simple. You say, what does God need a crown for? I've shared this before, Brother Ralph. I'm going to share it with you again. God's very, God never gets outgiven or outgived. He gives us a life. Amen. But we have forfeited that life in favor of sin, both by nature and by action. And so what does God do? God sends His Son to this world to die for our sins, that we might have life again. So God gave us life and we forfeited it. So God gave us His Son and gave us life. Now, to have that life, we've got to die. Amen? Not a physical death, but a spiritual death. And be crucified with Christ. Once we're crucified with Christ, we're given new life. Then once we're given new life, Brother Ralph, we take that life and we ought to give it back to Jesus Christ. And we live that life for Him. And one of these days we're going, if the Lord does not return first, we're going to taste mortal death. Once we taste mortal death, then we're going to experience a new kind of life that we've not experienced before, a, a glorified kind of life. It's the same way with the crowns. You see, God gives us crowns that we might give them back to Him. You say, I don't think it's that important. Well, we'll see how you feel on that day if you don't have any. Because that crown is representative of the life that you've lived for Jesus Christ. It's representative of every tear and every sorrow, of every prayer, of every time that you didn't want to go on but you went on anyway, of every time that someone mocked you, of every time that you lost a friend but you went on with God anyway, that crown's going to mean something to you that day. And we give that crown back to Him. I don't know if you all believe this way. don't really care. I don't mean that to be rude, but this is what I believe about the matter. Uh, when Christ comes back, we find that He is wearing many crowns. 
I kind of believe we've given him those crowns back. And I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to be a bunch of crowns in one. I don't know if he's going to have them stacked on top. I don't know if he's going to have them on chains hanging off the side. But I kind of believe if when he's wearing many crowns that he's wearing the crowns we've cast back to him as he comes back on a wicked and godless world that has persecuted his children and executes justice and judgment. What I'm saying is this, there is a glory that will be revealed in us because of the way we've lived our life, Brother Ralph. And what you're going through is working for you this glory. We don't want everything we need and we don't need everything we want. You probably don't want what you're going through. You'd probably be crazy if you did. But you need what you're going through or God wouldn't put you through it. And we can have a choice in this. We can't have a choice of whether we go through it or not, but we can have a choice in how we go through it. Are you going to go through it soured up and angry? Are you going to go through it with a complaining spirit? Are you going to go through it with an attitude of why me and oh me and oh my? Or are you going to go through it with a spirit of saying, you know, God's got me in this for a reason. And I can either spend all my time complaining and forfeit some of the rewards that God's given me. I can make up my mind that God's got my best interest at heart. And He's doing something in my life. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I know there's a place and there's a throne room of grace. And I know that God's willing to give you encouragement tonight. Paul prayed and asked God to take it away. and God didn't take it away, but God did make some things clear to him. That gave him the strength to carry on. Maybe that's what you need tonight. I don't know what it is you need, but God knows. And I know God's able to meet it this evening.